Hello, everyone, and welcome to Android Bytes, powered by Esper. I'm David Ruddock, and each week I'm joined by my co-host, Michelle Raman, diving deep into the world of Android. And I've already messed up this intro three times, so I'm going to hand it to Michelle to introduce our guest and our topic today. Thanks, David, for getting us through that. So on today's episode, we have a special guest from the Calyx Institute, um, Chirayu Desai. He's one of the developers working on the Calyx OS project. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Calyx OS is a privacy and security focused Android custom ROM distribution for OS, however you want to call it. We basically take what Google provides as open source, which is called the Android Open Source Project, make our modifications to it, include a bunch of other awesome open source projects, and release it as a usable product for the end user. Yeah, so this isn't the first time we've talked about AOSP derivatives on Android Bytes. We brought on guests from other projects that also modify AOSP and deliver workable builds to users. But we never really dived into what actually makes AOSP not really usable by an end user by default. There are a lot of tiny modifications that need to be made, sometimes some very major modifications to be made in order to make AOSP an actually fully functional operating system for a smartphone. Because uh, if you were to just build AOSP by default and ship it on a device, the functionality you'd get could hardly be considered smartphone worthy. You'd be missing so much that the average user comes to depend on nowadays that it's not really worth just running pure AOSP. Nobody out there actually just runs AOSP. They all run some kind of derivative of it. So the reason, the main reason I wanted to do today's episode is to basically explain that difference. What does it take to actually get AOSP into a usable state? And what is the difference between AOSP builds with and without GMS? And what do projects like Calyx OS offer that actually make it usable for end users? So to start off, I wanted to bring up a recent story that I read this week. Um, there was a report from 9to5Google that said that Google wants to integrate Bluetooth tracker detection, quote unquote, directly into Android. For those of you who don't know, there's a big privacy debacle right now with Bluetooth tile trackers and them being able to use to basically spy on people and track them. And so companies like Apple and Google are working on ways to detect when a Bluetooth tile tracker is nearby and basically alert the user, hey, you might be being tracked right now. This is definitely a very welcome feature and a very welcome thing that Google is working on. But one thing that I took issue with in the headline is that the claim it's being directly built into Android, which is if you actually look past the headline, the facts of the matter is that this feature is being built into Google Play services, not the Android operating system itself. It's a feature that's being part of a Google proprietary application shipped on billions of Android devices, to be fair. So it'll be very ubiquitous once it does roll out, but it's not a native platform feature of the OS, which means that any AOSP-based derivative that ships without Google Play services won't have access to this feature. And this is actually the case for a lot of features and APIs that you kind of take it for granted that are being part of Android, but they're not actually in the open source operating system. To be fair, Google is able to say that they're building this feature directly into Android because Android is actually a trademark term. Google owns the trademark to it. So they only consider devices that ship AOSP software with GMS to be running Android. Anything else is quote unquote, not Android, but colloquially, you know, we all say we have Android, we run Android. It's a pretty much accepted term, but legally there's a distinction. But because of this 
I think there's probably some confusion about what features are actually part of the open source operating system and what aren't. I wanted to ask you, Trayu, what are some of the features that people commonly associate with Android, but that are not actually part of the OS itself? I would start by saying a lot of the fancy features that you see on recent devices, which some of them might be exclusive to the pixels and some of them might be available on multiple devices. A lot of those are implemented by Google, either in Play Services or some other proprietary component that they create. For example, live captions. The plumbing for that is all in AOSP. So if somewhere were to build and build an equivalent on their own, they wouldn't have to do all of the work. The base is there, but the actual functionality that's proprietary, that's something Google has built on their own. It's uh, not open source. Song detection. There was also this simple thing, which is text selection in recents, where you are able to select text from websites, even from the recent app, or even select images. That is not part of AOSP. But the APIs, I believe, are all present in AOSP. So they do it in two ways. Like they, they will add the APIs needed to AOSP, the base code needed to AOSP, and then do the actual implementation in their proprietary code. So somebody could do the same thing. By default, you won't get it. Yeah, and if you were to go on, say, the Android website for Android 12, there's a lot of features that Google doesn't really make exactly clear whether or not it's included as part of AOSP, which means they don't tell you whether or not this feature is actually pixel exclusive or if it's exclusive to devices with GMS or if it's available to all devices through AOSP. There's not really a distinction being made there. So as a user, if you're just looking through basically a change log of what's coming to Android 13, you have no idea of knowing, is this going to be coming to all devices that are based on AOSP? Or is this only coming to a subset of devices? And there's really no way to tell. It's very difficult to tell unless you actually flash a AOSP build onto your device and then do a comparison between what's there and what isn't on a Pixel device. And if you were to actually go through and flash AOSP onto a device after downloading the source code, compiling it for whatever hardware you have, you would notice that there's a lot missing by default. There's a lot of features that are present, but disabled by default. And there are a lot of things that are just straight up missing. Most basic features, APIs that a lot of apps depend on, and a lot of system apps that you would think are fundamental for a basic phone experience are just not there. A lot of this stuff is included with Google Mobile Services, which is the suite of apps that Google licenses and distributes to its Android partners. There's a lot of those features that depend on those applications and those APIs that are provided by those Google dependencies. Of course, most users aren't going to go out there and flash a pure AOSP build onto the device, so they have no idea what they're missing if they were to do so. So I wanted to ask you, Trayu, someone who has a lot of experience actually building AOSP and going out of your way to include alternatives or workarounds for these missing APIs. Can you talk about some of the Google dependencies that are included in fresh AOSP builds that uh, users may not be aware of? There's a few things that you might think they will keep to themselves, but they are open source. For example, Android needs to connect to a few internet servers for basic functionality. When you enter a Wi-Fi captive portal, such as at a Starbucks or at in a plane, you are asked to log in to detect that Android needs to connect to some server. All devices need to connect to some server. By default in AOSP, that is configured to go to a Google server. I mean, that's a fair fallback. They have to leave something in there. So it's better that it's working rather than not having anything there at all. And it's a simple one-line change. It's a Google server. You change it to something else, but then you, you are not going to have as much reliability as Google. 
And then you are thinking, if your server goes down, your users are affected. If Google server goes down, pretty much all of Android is affected. So there's a lot more incentive on them to keep it working. There's also some other stuff that's not strictly Google components, but something that relies on Google components. For example, we were surprised to see that in AOS P12, a component relied on Google Play services for push notifications of all things. One day, a notification just popped up and I was really surprised that how is this in AOS P? And I had to ask someone to double check that, am I looking at this right? Did they really add a proprietary dependency like that to AOS P? But yes, they did. There's also some other stuff where it's working with Play services, but not in AOS P. This is a common problem with all open source Android 12 and above derivatives. Link detection is broken. So when you go to a website and tap on a link, it opens in the app if you have it installed. That is not correctly working in AOSP because the thing responsible for it just crashes. Apparently, it's handled by Play Services on stock because somebody from Xiaomi, I think, uploaded a patch to Google saying that this is broken without Play Services. This is how you reproduce it. But the patch is incomplete and it's not trivial to pick. So something as basic as clicking on a link and having that open in the particular app is broken in AOSP because they wouldn't have tested every single thing in AOSP. And for them, it's working with Play Services. So it becomes a lower priority thing. And then the funniest indicator that I use to check if I'm running AOSP is you hold the power button that used to bring up the power menu by default. Now on stock Android, I think it brings up Google Assistant, but that's not a thing in AOSP, right? So what happens? Nothing. So how do I know I'm running AOSP? I'm running pure AOSP rather. You long press the power button, nothing happens. That's pure AOSP for you. Yeah, I think it's really interesting to see just how much of AOSP is designed around the assumption that you're running it with GMS included. As you mentioned, the captive portal detection falls back to a Google server. There are various other things that also fall back to Google servers, you know, like the time zone updating server, whatever server they paying for, assisted GPS, and several other things. Like if you were to build AOSP and you lived in, say, China, where access to Google servers is just straight up banned, a lot of these things would just not work at all because, you know, all of these fallbacks are hard coded to link to Google service. And of course, there's good reason for these things to exist because without a captive portal detection server, your phone would just not prompt you to log in to whatever Starbucks hotspot you're trying to connect to, right? Without that, you, you really need that kind of thing to be there. But these fallbacks are just hard-coded and assumed to uh, point to Google. Just a bit of correction, but like there are fallbacks for the Chinese market specifically uh, that use the uh, mobile country code to detect when you're in China and then it uses those servers instead for captive portal. But it's, it's things like this, you know, it just, just shows that AOSP is kind of designed to be bundled with GMS and not everything is really tested without GMS included because that's not really what Google concerns itself with. It's concerned only with Android, including GMS, because that is legally what they consider to be Android. AOSP is just there to offer Android as an open source operating system, but what they really care about is bundling it with GMS and licensing that out to OEMs. And I think that that's also just a matter of what Google has resources and time for to a large extent, because the Android team, we've discussed this on so many episodes now, as you watch more and more get bundled into GMS, because Google does have valid business concerns about protecting certain proprietary features, I think you see AOSP 
not necessarily get less attention, but there's just not time to try and create either open alternatives or just to create functionality where things won't break, where Google can just say, well, you know, that's the open source version. You can create your own solution if you want to. And we've left, like in the case of some of these features, like live caption, we've left some breadcrumbs if you want a framework. But, you know, obviously recreating that yourself would just be completely impractical and require a huge corporation and massive resources to accomplish. Yeah, I think it's definitely fair to say that for a lot of these new features, that they, they do provide hooks to where OEMs could implement their own features on top of that. Like live captions is a very unique feature and however Google built it is very proprietary and that detection service, the machine learning, making sure all that is working properly, that obviously took a lot of work from Google's teams to build that feature. And I think it's fair that it's not included as part of AOSP, like the live caption service. But on the other hand, there are some areas in AOSP where it's clear that they got shafted because they're just in direct competition with Google Bits, with GMS. The most notable example being the stock applications that are included in AOSP, like the uh, music calendar and calculator apps. They're just completely bare bones compared to their GMS counterparts. You know, it's been a long time since I've run a pure AOSP bail because I always flash GMS whenever I can. So I just wanted to ask you, Chirayu, what are some of the limitations or what are some of the features that are lacking in the pure AOSP builds of common apps like the dialer, the messenger, the mail client, etc.? One of the things that you will notice is there are just not a lot of apps at all. You flash pure AOSP and I think you see like 10, 11, maybe 12 apps. That's it. The app drawer is just half full. And then within those apps, you open up something like music. The UI is straight up from Android gingerbread. I can't even remember how old that was, but literally you see gingerbread UI components in the app. It's that old. And they mentioned this somewhere, but the only requirement they have for USB apps is that it passes their test suite, which all OEMs have to pass, uh, which is called CTS. That is what they want. They want it to pass CTS and to serve as a reference to other OEMs. But you can tell that all of Google apps used to be based on AOSP. The beauty of AOSP is everything is open source. The commits are all there. So you can go through the commit logs. I think that's something you have done a lot of, Michal. And so if you just go digging around in there, you see references to some of the proprietary apps that this part should not be in open source, that this part should be moved to proprietary. You see a lot of that. And slowly and slowly, it started going like, just won't get any update at all. There are some other distributions such as LineageOS, which try to work on these. They take the AOSP app and they make a lot of improvements to it. Basically trying to make it look as close as possible to Google's versions so that it matches the rest of the system. Like the settings app is always updated. Everything should match the latest UI. And then there are also some OEMs who contribute fixes to some of these apps. And they all do it through AOSP Kerit, which is Google's thing to accept patches from other people. And so if you just open that and browse to see whatever is available, a lot of the times you see fixes from OEMs. For example, we have had an issue where visual voicemail is not working for some people on Calyx OS. It works on some carriers, but not all. And it definitely works fine on Google Dialer on the same device. And one of our developers was browsing USB Grid and they found a fix from Motorola for visual voicemail issues on some devices. 
So yeah, OEMs are also using some of these apps as a base, at least some of the apps which are being kept up to date or at least functional. But yeah, the other apps, music is the worst, I would say. Not to clown too hard on a lot of these base AOSP apps, because there are multiple apps that are pretty closely kept in sync with their Google counterparts. For example, Launcher 3 is pretty close to what you get in Pixel Launcher. And that's necessary because a lot of OEMs depend on Launcher 3 because so much of Android is based on it. Like the gesture navigation is integrated, the recent applications integrated, the taskbar in Android 12L and 13 is integrated into Launcher 3. So it's a necessity for Google to keep that up to date and keep that as updated as possible. System UI settings or other apps that are also constantly updated in AOSP. But the base apps like uh, music, calendar, mail, Google's like, you know what, we'll keep them updated so that they pass compatibility tests and that they aren't completely broken when you compile, but they have much better implementations of GMS. So just go use those is the argument. They do still update those apps from time to time. Like, for example, the AOSP dialer app, even though it's so bare bones and it lacks so many proprietary features, just like all of the other bits of Android, Google does update it with the new APIs or hooks for the new APIs. There was a recent video on Twitter with my friend uh, Pierre, who is the developer of many Project Treble-based generic system image modifications. He posted a modification of the AOSP dialer that basically uses the API that Google added to implement its call screen functionality. So if you have a Pixel phone, you get a notification that says a uh, screen call, and that uses a whole bunch of Google proprietary magic to automatically interface with the dialer and determine if they're a spammer or not, leave you a message. He basically used that API and replaced the screen call button with a Rickroll button. So when you tap it, it plays the... <laughs> Obviously, like no OEM is actually going to do this, but it just goes to show that even though the base AOSP dialer is so bare bones, all the hooks are there for OEMs to use. And I'm sure many OEMs do base their dialer applications on the AOSP dialer, even though it's probably not ideal to do so because it's just so much is missing. But yeah, that's why you see projects like Lineage OS, as Trey you mentioned, go and extend it a whole bunch. They change pretty much everything about it to make it actually usable by an end user. Calyx, on the other hand, seems to go, seems to take a different approach. It seems that Calyx ships a whole bunch of free open source applications to serve as alternatives to the lacking applications in AOSP. So I just wanted to ask you, Troy, what are some of the apps that you guys include in Calyx to replace the basics? We include some apps from Lineages, such as the Music app, because I think I've said enough about it already. We have our own modifications to the dialer with allows you to make a signal or WhatsApp call directly from the dialer. And it also warns you when you're making a normal phone call that this call is not private because normal phone calls that we make are not encrypted, whereas signal and WhatsApp calls are end-to-end -end encrypted. And we actually had a big discussion around some of this where people were like, why are you promoting WhatsApp? So the thing is, we don't want to promote anything not open source, but at the same time, WhatsApp has a huge user base in the billions of people. So we do a thing where if you don't have Signal, we will prompt you to install Signal because it is free and open source and awesome. But if you don't have WhatsApp, we won't show it. If you have WhatsApp, we'll go, you can also use this to make a call and that's better than a normal phone call. So we try and make some minor improvements to stuff like this. Then we also include Fdroid as an app store just to get open source apps and also updates for all our apps, which is basically what Google does through the Play Store. 
And then this is something I didn't personally understand at first, but as time went on and as I talked with users, I understood this is AOSP doesn't have a lot of apps as we discussed, but on stock, you have an app for everything. You have an app to create a document, to view a document and to view a PDF, for example, something as simple as a PDF. How do you do that in AOSP? You can't, you have to install an app. And we include this app on after it called Mu PDF Viewer and Mu PDF Viewer. And it's just a simple PDF viewer. It lets you view PDF. And somebody might think that why include it with the OS? You can just install it. Yes, but you want to provide a full experience out of the box. You and me, we can install apps. We can find out our most preferred apps and install them. But the average user, they might not know what to install or they might just be overwhelmed with the choices. If you just search for PDF, you'll get a ton of options. So instead, you just have something in the OS to provide replacements for as much basic functionality as possible, which is why we also include a Maps app called Organic Maps, which is a fork of maps.me. Again, that is also open source and available on Android. Another thing we include is our own VPN app. We run a VPN service, which is totally free and anonymous. There is no user registration. You just launch the app and get connected. If you've provided as a service for many, many years, even before Calyx OS, and it's one of the goals of including that in the OS is if you are with a Calyx OS phone somewhere where you can't get on the internet due to whatever restrictions they might have in that area, you should be able to use something like our VPN or the included Tor browser to get online no matter where you are. So you mentioned that it's a necessity to include many applications to give users a full out-of-the-box experience, but in reality, it's impossible to give users everything that they want because in order to do so, you'd have to include maybe hundreds of applications to appeal to every user's use case and doing so would massively bloat the system image that you're shipping. So what you end up doing is, you know, pointing users to other sources to download the applications that they actually need. You mentioned one of them being F-Droid, which is a popular open source repository for open source applications. And Aurora Store being another one, uh, which is a open source front end for the Google Play Store. Google Play being the biggest app repository for Android devices. There are many apps that you won't find on other app stores like F-Droid. So Aurora Store plus F-Droid will cover most of your application needs, I would argue. But the issue is that unlike Google Play Store, F-Droid and Aurora Store on most devices, they're not able to install and update apps in the same way that Google Play is. Like if you just pick up your Android phone with the Google Play Store, you open it, you download an app, it seamlessly downloads it and installs it in the background. You never get the, do you want to install this app prompt like you do when you try to sideload something. But if you were to sideload F-Droid and Aurora Store, you would get those prompts every single time you want to install and update an app. On the Calyx website, you guys claim that F-Droid and Aurora are able to seamlessly handle installs and updates just like Google Play can. So I wanted to ask you, how is that possible? What did you do to give them special privileges to streamline this process? So F-Droid's had this thing for a long time now, which is what they call the privileged extension. So the philosophy of that is you don't want to give F-Droid itself additional privileges to just reduce the security of the attack surface. What they have is a small helper app that talks to F-Droid that if you are rooted, you can install it. Or if you're uh, running Calyx OS, we uh, already have it pre-configured. So that has the install permissions already given to it by the OS. So F-Droid talks to that and that lets F-Droid install any apps it wants. 
and Aurora store also was able to use that mechanism. So we had it configured with that. But then in Android 12, Google introduced this new API where apps are able to automatically install updates for themselves or for other apps given they meet a certain criteria. And there were a few changes required. We contributed those to Aurora store. We tend to do that and we like to do that for any open source project that we include. If we make any modifications or if there's something useful we can do, we try to give back. So that is now possible with Aurora Store. You can install Aurora Store, the latest version on any Android 12 or above device. And for installation, you will have to agree, but I think that is fine. It's the first time you're installing. It's a simple yes. And after that, it should be able to update app without requiring confirmation for every single app from you. So if I were listening to this and I wanted to say, okay, this sounds simple enough to bypass Google Play Store, I can just use a combination of F-Droid and Aurora to get whatever I need from either the open source repositories or Google Play itself. Why do I need GMS? Why do OEMs ship it? And what's the downside to not having GMS if I can just get all the apps I need through other sources? I think if users were to try to go this route, they'd quickly discover that there are a lot of applications that would just straight up either not run or they'd have limited functionality. And that's because they rely on APIs that are only provided through Google Play services, which is one of the core components of GMS. So some of the APIs that are critical to basic app functionality that are only provided through Google Play services or that apps rely on Google Play services to include, include the uh, Fuse Location Provider API, which is the API that apps use to determine location access. And there's also the Firebase Cloud Messaging API, which apps use to implement push notifications. There's the Maps API, which is necessity to integrate Google Maps functionality. Google Maps being, of course, the best Maps application out there. So, of course, apps will want to use it. There's also other services implemented through Play Services, such as the built-in backup transport, which handles backing up app data to Google Drive account. So a lot of apps rely on these Google Play APIs. And if Google Play services is not there, then a lot of them will just fail or just refuse to run or refuse to send you push notifications and so on. Obviously, this is not an ideal experience for users because it's often not clear whether or not an app won't run on their device. So what does Calyx OS provide in terms of alternatives to these APIs? Like, what do you implement to ensure that a lot of these basic features and applications continue to work as expected? This is where yet another amazing open source project comes in. It's called MicroG, and it's basically an open source re-implementation of Google's Play Services APIs and some others. We were talking about this before, right, that AOSP has APIs for everything, so what MicroG does is it provides the implementation for everything that an app would expect from Google Play services, or rather it tries to provide that for everything. They have a page stating what is currently implemented, what is work in progress, and what will never be implemented, such as ads. The project is never going to implement ads for obvious reasons. So they implement push notifications. And the way push notifications work is, say you're using WhatsApp. WhatsApp will send a notification to Google servers. So MicroG has to talk to Google servers to get that notification because that's where WhatsApp sent it. However, WhatsApp, given that it's end-to-end -end encrypted, meaning if Michelle and I are talking, only our devices can see what we're talking about. WhatsApp servers have no idea. And so in the similar way, Google servers have no idea what we're talking about. It just knows that I received a message. It doesn't know from whom or what message did I exactly receive. But MicroG talks to Google servers for this. And the beauty of MicroG is this is all optional. 
there is simply a toggle for push notifications in there. If you decide that you are not using any apps with push notifications or you don't want your device talking to Google service, just turn that off and that's gone. What still remains is implementation of some other APIs you mentioned, such as Maps. For Maps, MicroG does not rely on Google. Instead, it provides this alternative called Mapbox. It builds that in. So, for example, if you open Uber or if you try to share a location with WhatsApp, you'll get a map. And you may notice a difference because the map looks slightly different. And if you see in the bottom left, instead of Google Maps, it will say Mapbox. But for the users, for the most part, it should work the same. And this way you also avoid talking to Google servers as much as possible. There's also some other boring stuff in MicroG that you wouldn't expect in Play services, uh, such as fonts. Some apps rely on Google fonts and that implementation is provided by Play services. So what happens when you try that, run those apps on your SP, they crash. So we actually contributed this to MicroG. We created a simple, very simple font implementation that just returns the default font available on the system. You want a font, you just get a font and that's it. The app works with that. It may not look as expected and you know there could definitely be improvements to this, but as a starting point, it was enough to get apps working. And so that's how we do things. We like to iterate on it as time goes. When it comes to MicroG, I guess I'm just kind of curious, does Google actively try to disable some of the reverse engineering that's happening there? Does Google try to block access to things that MicroG is attempting to use? Is there the kind of, we just were talking about safety net the other week and kind of the back and forth that happens there um, as developers reverse engineer. Is MicroG something that Google and services like it, is that something Google seems to pay attention to or do they seem just okay letting it lie? I cannot speak on behalf of the MicroG developer at all. Uh, so this is strictly my own views. And it's funny that you mentioned MicroG just recently gained safety net support. But what was mentioned in the safety net, uh, safety net podcast that safety net itself is a binary that Google provides that keeps changing from time to time. And it's heavily obfuscated. Like you can't figure out what it's doing. You don't know at any point what it's exactly doing. But MicroG now lets the same thing run. And that actually works. And I was really surprised to find that that this is great. It's only basic. I think I believe it's only basic safety registration, but that is enough for a lot of apps that were previously broken to now continue working. And so I haven't heard of Google having any issues with this. I guess one thing it does provide is Google account login. This is also something that's in Play Services. Like you take your phone, you log into a Google account. So that is also provided by Play Services and all of the stuff that comes with it, like Contact Sync, that is another proprietary APK. You'd think you'd get Contact Sync, but no, that's also a separate thing. So yeah, that's also something MicroG provides. But in addition to that, it tries to use as little of Google as possible. So the best example that I mentioned before was push notifications. You have to use Google. That's where the notifications are. But maps, you can use anything you want. Apps just want a map. Apps don't specifically need Google Maps. Uh, other maps also mostly work fine. And unlike Widevine, Google doesn't have a specific reason to break something like this. It's If anything, it's probably helpful as far as they're concerned. Yeah, I'd like to think so. <laughs> <laughs> so how about things like location services and backup? How does Calyx offer alternatives to those? So MicroG has a very modular thing for location services. They call it unified NLP, where NLP is network location provider. 
And so what they have is you are able to install various APKs. We include some of them such as Mozilla and one called DejaVu, which runs entirely on your device. And there's other APKs available in Android, such as Apple Wi-Fi Backend, which uses Apple's Wi-Fi database to figure out your location on a Google device. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so it does the same thing with those that here also you don't need to rely on Google for the location. You can just try and figure out the location from some other database. So we use a combination of Mozilla, which has their own Wi-Fi database. And then also Deja Vu, which tries to build a local database on the device. And that way, location in most apps continue working. Uh, then as for backup, I believe on stock, it's part of base services simply because of convenience. And you have to think like that, right? If you add something, if Google adds something to Android 13, that will only get to a small number of devices at the start. And even after a year or so, it will still be a small percentage of the entire Android device. Whereas with Play Services, and they recently did this with the permission auto reset feature, they put it in Play Services, so it became available to billions of Android devices overnight, just like that. So they include backup in there and they backup to Google servers. What we have instead is our own open source solution known as Seed Vault. It already existed as a community project. And then I think we came up and ended up basically rewriting the entire app. And we funded that on our own. And then we also got some external funding to work on some features for it. But at this point, it's able to back up your apps, the data of the apps, uh, such as uh, you're logged into your email application. It backs that up. Then it's also able to back up your files, photos, documents, and everything. And it does all this encrypted on the device. So that way, your private data never leaves your device unprotected. And then we use another Google API for choosing the backup location. So you can backup to your own device, which is just mostly for testing, or if you are transferring it by some other way. Or the recommended option is you backup to a USB stick, which you can connect to the device with an adapter or even directly these days. And then we also support Nextcloud and other web dev backends to DevX5. And this is all modular. We are also looking at adding support for some other providers, but the backup is done on your device and it's encrypted on your device. So even if you are storing in on some untrusted Nextcloud server, as long as they don't have your backup passphrase, which is a 12 word phrase with people in the crypto community would be familiar with. It's called BIP39. So as long as they don't have that, they shouldn't be able to do anything with your backup. Uh, they might be able to know you're using this app somehow with some analysis, but uh, they won't get your data. And this is all open source. It's a separate project hosted on its own GitHub. We are happy to see that it's included in many of the custom ROMs. And we also get reports that people are switching between custom ROMs using this backup, which is great to see. And one of the intentions to make switching phones easier now, if you're doing the same OS or if you're even if you're using a different OS, that's totally fine. It's, we are glad that it works. And that's one where I think it's a great example of the community having way purer motivations, I guess, than a Samsung or a Google or a OnePlus, um, where they're really concerned about the data from their own applications and services first and foremost. And that can become a, basically a technical blocker to a more modular um, or even just more robust backup and restore architecture. With Android now, I simply just do cloud restores because a cross-USB cable is incredibly unreliable with Google's solution. It doesn't work half the time. 
And the cloud restore is an incomplete solution, but it's better than nothing. So it's it's interesting to see because like, you know, when I used to flash custom ROMs way back when, like, you know, Nexus One days, it was fairly easy to make your data portable and bring everything over. Granted, Android was a lot simpler back then. But it's interesting to see that dynamic where because you have this ecosystem of partners, nobody really is interested in universal standard and you have competing business interests that really prevent it. Yeah, backup and all these other APIs provided by Google, you know, they certainly solve a lot of problems that would happen because of the fragmentation of Android devices. Since Google Play services is so ubiquitous, they're able to provide these features and APIs and extend them to billions of devices around the world. Of course, since Google Play services is incredibly obfuscated and closed source, it's not possible to implement everything provided by Google Play services immediately into Micro-G, which is why there's, it's missing a lot of things that might make something like Android Auto work, for example. But it provides most of the basic APIs that are needed to get most apps at least working on your device. But in order to do so, I wanted to ask you about the implementation, how Micro-G is actually integrated into a device build, because that's, a, I think, a very sticky question. The way apps call Google APIs is they expect Google Play services itself to be installed and they expect that it's a legitimate version of Google Play services provided by Google there. Instead, Micro-G kind of hijacks that process and pretends that it's actually Google Play services. It's saying, hey, we're the legit thing. Let us handle your API calls. Let us handle this data and send things back to you. So it kind of spoofs the real Play services and in order to do that, custom ROMs have to implement something called signature spoofing, which is basically saying that the signature of Micro-G is actually matching Google Play services, even though it doesn't. And this obviously is not ideal for security purposes, because you kind of expect that when you're installing one application on top of the other, the signatures match. Therefore, Android will allow you to install that update. But with signature spoofing, you'd be able to bypass that signature matching and that wouldn't be good for security. So I wanted to ask you, how does Calyx integrate Micro-G while addressing this signature spoofing security concern? Actually, I'd like to correct you on that one if that's fine. Signature spoofing won't let you install an app signed with a different key. So if you take a step back, the way apps on Android work is every single app is signed with a private key that the developer of the app holds. And even in the operating system, we include apps that are signed by other people such as Android, or we sign our own apps with our private keys, which even I don't have access to. Updates to those apps can only be installed if they're signed by the same key. So what happens with Micro-G pretending to be Play Services is that Aurora Store will think that there is an update available for Play Services, but the update won't actually install because they are signed with different keys and that part of the OS which checks that and which verifies that is never modified. It was, to my knowledge, even with all the other signature spoofing implementations, that part was never touched. The app update part and the verifies the integrity of the app, that never got modified. Instead, what's modified is a simple, when an app asks what signature this is signed with, we just reply with Google's instead of ours, or rather whatever Micro-G is signed with. What used to happen is Micro-G had some patches that provided on their own, which authorized then gone on to say that they were just meant for reference and you are obviously free to restrict them in whatever way possible. So those patches were very open, but what we do is we take them and we heavily restrict it. 
Uh, so the first thing is micro G and only micro G can spoof signature. No other app, none whatsoever. There are no exceptions, only micro G. The second is it can only spoof Google's signature, not arbitrary signatures. That was one of the things people didn't like about the old patches, which we never included, by the way, that any app could pretend to be signed with any key. We don't allow that. We are just like micro G needs to pretend to be Google to work. Fine. Let's do that. Anything else not allowed. What we like to do is rely on Google's protections for this. So we have guarded this behind privilege permission that only system applications can get. And since on Calyxverse, MicroG is a system application, it can get that. But no other app that you install can get that permission. And my thinking behind this is, if privileged permissions are broken, if there is a bug in that, that is a much bigger problem for Google than just for us at KalixOS. So they'll deal with that. And as long as we try and rely on Google's security practices and try to work within those, we can still aim to have a good level of security. Yeah, good to know. And thanks for the correction there. I was kind of mixing two concepts together where I used to, in the past, there were some exposed modules that would completely disable signature checking. And I confused that with signature spoofing. But good to know that the fundamental application security model of signature verification is not violated in any way with MicroG and signature spoofing. And it's also good to know that you guys kind of limit the scope of what MicroG needs in order or what you need to include in order to make MicroG actually function on Calyx OS. If you install Calyx OS, I'm sure most users, if you're looking for a privacy and security oriented operating system for your Android device, you'd probably get a lot of basic functionality covered by the stock applications included with Calyx. And then wherever you don't find fulfilled by those applications, you can grab from another source like F-Droid or Aurora Store. There's obviously a lot of benefits to shipping a device without GMS and including a lot of these aftermarket APIs and features and applications. But I wanted to ask you, like, why go to all this effort of customizing AOSP with all of these applications and apps? And why do this instead of just shipping AOSP with GMS? Well, first of all, we can't legally ship AOSP with GMS. I don't think Google allows anyone to ship AOSP with GMS on pixels apart from themselves. And secondly, we are all about free and open source software. GMS is not that. Uh, now, some of the keen-eyed among you may point out that we still need to rely on proprietary software to even get these devices to boot. But I think that is acceptable. Uh, what we do is anything you need to get the device working or basic functionality, that's fine if that's proprietary, but anything else should be open source. And relying on GMS means you have to go through the entire Google approval process, their entire certification process, uh, which is called CTS, which we discussed earlier. So you make a build, and that build has to pass CTS, which can take days to run. Google's partners or all the OEMs work around this by having early access to build. So we got Android 12 what, October last year. Partners would have had Android 12 months before, so they would be able to start working on it and get it all certified and everything. But we get it in October, and if we want to get an update out quick, we can't possibly go through that entire process and still have something quick. And then this lets you do things that Google may not approve of. Uh, what we do is we provide MicroG as an option. So when you first install Calyx OS, you are greeted with a screen. Would you like to use apps such as Google Maps or YouTube or Uber or ride-sharing apps? Then you probably want this on. But if you are not planning to use any of these apps, you can turn that off. 
So I don't see Google letting people turn off play services right from the setup wizard. They do let you disable it on stock, but then you're hit with these annoying notifications from every single Google app that this app will not work without play services. And some of them actually don't. But another thing recently we did last month was the Dirty Pie vulnerability. Uh, we were able to get an update out in, I would say, about six hours since we first came to know about that vulnerability. And I'm still thinking of ways to make that even faster. A bit of it is limited by the time it simply takes to build the OS because Android is so huge. It can take up to an hour simply to compile the operating system and then even signing it, you know, you have to sign every single component in the OS. So even that can take a long time. And then one of the things we do at Calyx OS is we test every single build. So you don't get that with AOSP on its own. But what we provide is that every single download that we provide has been tested and is known working. There will always be some issues. Of course, there are a lot of issues in AOSP itself, but at least the basic functionality, like the device boots, it won't die on you, phone calls will work and so on. I think this is a pretty good case in point for why ROM still, especially actually as Android has become more mature, making a custom distro has become much harder in a way that's usable, at least, because Google has started to wall off so many things and put them behind Google Play services and other GMS components. And there's also the question, like you kind of implicitly ring up Jiraiya, which is trust. Why does Calyx decide that this is a good PDF viewer application to preload? Well, because it's free and open source and it looks like a trustworthy piece of software that's maintained in the community. Asking users to identify that software, especially from the ground up, would be very, it's a big ask for them. They don't know what the trustworthy software is, what's being kept up to date. So just saying that, well, no, it's AOSP with a few things extra on top. Well, that's, that's not true. It is an entire set of choices that have been made very actively for this distro to work in this way, to have compatibilities via Micro-G and letting the user choose if they want to have that or not. Because even having it architected in that way where you have a, essentially version of the OS that's going to be fine without Micro-G and one that's going to work with Micro-G, that again is a choice. You have two very different UXs there that people are going to have. So it is, it's interesting to see the challenges there and also just the amount of curation that still has to happen. It's not just an open source platform. It's a series of choices that somebody, a large group of people have made to present people with new options and new ways to use the device. So I think that that can get overshadowed by just like, okay, do you have feature X, Y, or Z? Well, it's in the aggregate that the distro itself becomes usable to people once you have all those choices taken together. And I think that's the beauty of AOSP, which is choice. When you're building AOSP, you choose which providers to use for the basic captive portal detection, et cetera. You choose which applications to build and ship. You choose what security features to enable, whether or not you want to harden Android with additional kernel configs, you, whether or not you want to extend AOSP privacy features with more features. You choose when to ship your build. As Troy, you mentioned, he's able to include the kernel fixes for Dirty Pipe and ship them out before those fixes are even included in, in Google devices because when you're on a contract with Google and you have to include GMS and you have to do certification testing and then you got to do carrier testing, et cetera, that, that can add weeks, maybe even like months onto your ship time. So like when you just build from AOSP and you ship to, you know, XYZ device that you control, you control when you get that software update out. 
And that can be much quicker than if you had to go through a lot of these certification tests that are required to ship GMS. So AOSP provides you much more control over the software that you're delivering. So I guess this is a good spot to do our Esper plug because that's what we do. Obviously, we're not working with consumer smartphones. We're not working with consumer tablets or laptops or things like that that could run AOSP-based distros. We're working with things like point-of-sale terminals or customer service kiosks, display signage, connected exercise equipment, two-way communication devices over cellular even. These kinds of systems that do very specific things, devices, I should say, that do very specific things, do them all day, every day. We call them dedicated devices. Sometimes they're known as COSUs um, in the computing world, but dedicated device is kind of the term that's become more popular. Now, if you're in a situation where you're trying to build something with AOSP, whether that is a point of sale terminal or whether it's something you're going to put on a customer's wrist to take health metrics as a medical device, you're probably wondering what pieces of AOSP do I need? What pieces do I need to know about? Where should I be looking? And honestly, where do I even start making these decisions? And if you're in that kind of spot where you're just deciding not just on a platform, but also how to use Android on your device, you should come talk to us at Esper. We do this. We have our own operating system distro called Foundation, which is based on AOSP. And we also offer robust services for things like deploying apps to devices, which if you have GMS, you have an app deployment infrastructure. It's called the Google Play Store. If you don't have GMS, you don't have an app deployment infrastructure at all. So being able to do these things that you would just take for granted on a smartphone, on something that like a cash register, it's a totally different scenario. And it does require a specialized approach. So if you're in that world and you're building a device that could ostensibly run Android, but would probably need some changes, modifications, come talk to us at Esper. It's esper.io and you can book a demo and we're happy to show you what we can do. We can manage fleets of devices in the dozens or hundreds. We can manage them in the tens or hundreds of thousands, depending on your use case. So thank you. And that is our Esper plug. And Michelle, if you want to take us out here. Yeah, thanks, David. And thank you, Trayu, for joining us on today's episode. I hope this has been illuminating for those of you who are listening who have considered whether or not you want to run a pure AOSP build on your device. The answer is no, you don't want to run a pure AOSP build. You want to run an AOSP derivative that takes care of a lot of the minor issues that come with just running AOSP and all of its lacking features. A project like Calyx OS is one such option you might turn to because they took a lot of legwork out by including a lot of stock applications, some of which are developed by themselves, some of which they're sourced from the open source community. And they also keep it up to date on the devices they support. So you don't have to take care of merging patches on your own, make it much simpler. But I hope this episode has informed you about what it takes to actually make AOSP usable on a smartphone, which is a lot surprisingly. You'd think, you know, AOSP is built to support smartphones, tablets, automobiles, and uh, watches and other form factors, but just building it and shipping it on a device is not enough to actually have something usable, especially not for an enterprise, as David mentioned. So thank you, Chirayu, for joining us in today's episode. And if people want to follow you or your project, where can they find you? You can find KalixOS at KalixOS.org. We have a very active community and you'll find links to that on the website. And if you'd like to support our work, you can go to KalixInstitute.org and get a membership and that directly supports what we're doing. Thank you for having me. 
Well, I guess we'll stop there. Thanks for joining us. <laughs>